anything. Open your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 28. We're still there. And Lord willing, we're going to wrap it up tonight. In fact, we, we'll have to get out of here in time so the uh, Awana Clubbers can get in here. This is the first Wednesday of the month, and they'll be coming in. Proverbs 28, and uh, we actually got down through verse 25 last week. And because verse 25 is so closely connected with some of the things that we're going to see in the following verses, uh, I, I want to just read it again and maybe make just a few comments it says, verse 25, He that is of a proud heart stirreth up strife, but he that putteth his trust in the Lord shall be made fat. I, I said uh, last week, well, I missed last week, the last time I was here, that I, I really get tired of strife, don't you? And the older I get, the the more I dislike strife. You know, I... Whenever I was younger, I didn't mind, you know, getting in a good debate or argument or whatever. But, boy, whenever you get older, it's kind of like, hey, let's just try to get along with one another. Uh, well, obviously, from this verse and from several other verses, we find that strife comes from from pride. Back in chapter 13 in verse number 10, he said, Only by pride cometh contention. That's an amazing statement. Only. In other words, there's no other way. Only by pride cometh contention. Uh, if we got rid of all of the pride, we, look, we might have some disagreements, but we can disagree without being disagreeable, as the old saying goes. And if we get rid of the pride, that contention won't be there. And so we won't have to worry about getting bitter one at another. So... For that reason, it's important that we deal with that issue of pride in our life. And, uh, uh, and, and here, notice then there's a contrast here where he, he shows us that it's associated with unbelief. The next phrase, he says, But he that putteth his trust in the Lord. He that putteth his trust in the Lord. So there is a connection and that connection is a contrast. And the idea is that uh, the, the, the proud person is somebody that lives as though there is no God. In, in other words, as though his opinion is the only one that matters. Uh, that He's going to do what he wants to do because he is who he is. Yeah, even though he's a nobody, he doesn't realize it, but... In contrast to that, the other person, the person that would be marked by humility, is the person who puts their trust in the Lord. And the result of that is, he explains, shall be made fat, which is another way back in that day of saying that he shall, uh, he shall be made to prosper. And you know, it always, it always pays for us to follow God's commands. It always, it always pays for us to follow the principles that God has established. And, you know, a lot of times we get to thinking, you know, boy, if I just restrict myself to what God wants for my life, well, I'm going to have to give up things that I enjoy and this and that and the other. And sometimes we, instead of thinking about the cost, you know, of, 
of what it costs to follow the Lord. We need to think about the cost involved if we don't follow the Lord. That's when it really gets costly because there is a reward uh, for all of those who faithfully follow Him. And in this case, that is described as being made fatter, made to prosper. So uh, pride is something that's going to rob us uh, of those blessings that God has made available. Now that brings us to verse 26. And that's where we begin tonight. He that trusteth in his own heart is a fool. But whoso walketh wisely, he shall be delivered. I think it's interesting that we just read in verse 25, and that's one reason I wanted to read verse 25 again, because it talks about the person that puts their trust in the Lord. And now we see the reference is to somebody that trusts in their own heart. And uh, no doubt there's a lot of people in this world that's guilty of that very thing. And it's evident that they are trusting in their own heart instead of trusting in the things of the Lord. And people do that in several different ways. For example, they do it by depending upon their own reasoning rather than relying upon the counsel of God. Uh, you know, I'm not going to get specific about it, but um, I've often said, you know, there are a lot of things in the Bible that I don't understand and if the Lord, uh, you know, just gave me a hypothetical situation and said, all right, now, what do you think you ought to do? I would end up doing something different than what he demands in his word. And it would be out of my ignorance, of course, because I'd feel like I would be doing the right thing. And, but, you know, that's why I keep saying, you know, we would want exactly what God wants for us or are we as smart as God. And we need to remember that because the fact of the matter is we don't have it all figured out. And I can think of certain situations and people I know and people I love and care about in certain situations that uh, if it was left up to me, I would say, now look, this is what this is probably what you ought to do. That would that would that would make sense, you know. You you can't help it. You found yourself like like this, and so uh, go, go ahead. But it would be contrary to what the Word of God says. Sometimes God requires things of us that does not make sense. And I mean by that, it does not make sense to our natural reasoning. So we can't always reason everything out. But the person, the person who puts their trust in their own heart Sometimes they depend on their own reasoning. Another way that they do that is when they put their trust in their own heart, they depend upon their own resolve. In, in other words, it's like, you know, I can just tough this out. You know, I'll be tenacious like a bulldog. And I, you know, man, I'm not going to give up. I'll scotch my feet and square my shoulders. And, you know, I, I'm going to I'm going to win this battle. And uh, they act like they have the power to fulfill every resolution they make without God's help. So, you know, they resolve they're going to do this and they're going to do that. And guess what? Well, it ends in failure. There have been so many times people have come and and uh, over the years and there would be someone maybe come forward and say, Pastor said, you know, I, I've, I've got this problem, I, I've committed this sin, whatever the case might be. 
And boy, I got it all straightened out, and I guarantee you, you know, I'm so happy that I did, and I'll never do that again. And they walk away, and I kind of say to myself, yeah, they'll be back, because it'll probably happen again. On other occasions, there'll be somebody that'll come with a broken heart, and out of concern for some particular sin in their life. And you can tell by the way that they lay it out and express themselves, they are living in fear that they might fall back into that sin. And those are the people that are in the safest position because there's no pride in their heart that says, you know, I can resolve to do this and I can get her done. Well, not always. And so that doesn't work. Another way that people reveal that, that, you know, they're trusting in their own heart is by their affections. In other words, they believe that love will be strong enough to keep them from failing. You know, it might be that, you know, I love my church so much that I would never do this or that. And, and they're determined. It might be, you know, somebody said, well, I, I, I love the Lord, and because I love the Lord, you know, I would never think of doing this or that. And, and, Again, they're trusting in their affection, and it, and it sounds logical, maybe. It, it, it even sounds like really a spiritual thing to do. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to get involved in such and such because of the fact that I love the Lord too much for that. Well, look, you can't just depend on your affections. You can't love your way to victory. It takes more than that. And when you're trusting in your own heart, your own ability, you're going to fail. And so a lot of people depend on their abilities, you know. In other words, they suppose they're capable of doing whatever it is that needs to be done. Now, to me, that raises a question. What causes people, what causes people to be like that? What is it that prompts people to trust in their own heart? Well, I was just thinking this afternoon, and four things came to my mind. Number one, it could be ignorance. They just don't know any better. You know, they've not been raised in church or anything, and so from a little child, they've been, you know, taught about the little engine that could and stuff like that, the power positive thinking, and 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 so you know, they think, boy, if, if, and you've heard people say, boy, here in America. You can just be anything. You can do anything. Just put your mind to it. You can do anything. Well, I'm not so sure that's true at all, are you? But there are people that believe that, that if you believe strong enough that you can make it come to fruition. And so just out of their ignorance, some people have put their trust in their heart. Other people, other people do that same thing because of pride. And again, that's why I wanted to read verse 25. Because pride makes us, you know, think that we are self-sufficient, you know, that we can do it. Another thing that might do that is the matter of selfishness. As a result of selfishness, you know, that we, uh, we put our trust in our own heart. Because maybe even unbeknown to us that we are pursuing self-interest and we don't even realize it, but whenever that's the primary desire of our heart, you know, we, we, tend to, we tend to build all of our other beliefs and our actions and everything else around that. 
And so there's three reasons. Another one I can think of is unbelief. Unbelief is different than ignorance because in ignorance, you know, it's something you just don't know. But when it comes to unbelief, you have the available information and what have you, but you just don't listen. You just don't believe it. You don't trust it. You don't trust the Word of God because you're trusting in your own heart. And notice what he says about a person like that, man, woman, boy, girl, whoever it is, the person that does that, he says, is a fool, is a fool. Now, that's really blunt, isn't it? That's what the Bible says. Uh, he's a fool, but it's meant to be blunt. And the reason is so it'll make an impact. That's why I often say God, look, God's not trying to entertain us. And God's trying to break through that crusty old hard heart of ours and get through to us that he might transform us. And so it's folly to suppose that we can trust ourselves. One of my favorite verses in this regards is over in Jeremiah chapter 10 and verse 23. And he says, O Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man that walketh to direct his steps. Well, that is kind of like God in a very nice way saying that y'all don't have enough. Yeah, God's from the south. And so he says, y'all, y'all don't have enough sense, you know, to know what you ought to do. And so many times we think we got it all figured out. I, yeah, I know what I ought to do. And the fact of the matter is we don't have enough sense to order, to direct, to figure out what we ought to do in life. And the reason that's so is in Jeremiah 17 and verse number 9, where it talks about the heart being deceitful above all things. It's not only deceitful, but it is desperately wicked. And then that next little phrase, and it tells us, and who can know it? Who can know it? None of us are capable of fully understanding our own hearts. Our heart is, is desperately wicked. It's deceitful. Notice he said, above all things. And so that's the reason that we can't trust in our heart. The reason that, you know, we don't have enough sense to know how we ought to live. If God just gave us a blank slate and said, okay, all right, I've given you life. I'm going to give you good health. And I'll tell you what, I'll even promise you 70 years. But now you just write on the slate whatever you please. You do as you feel will be what is best. You know, and he might throw in a little comment and please be considerate of others or something like that. We'd have things so messed up in about 10 seconds that our life would be a mess for, you know, for the rest of our lives. So instead of trusting ourselves... We need to walk wisely, as he says. Walk wisely. Don't put your trust in your own heart, but walk wisely. Well, what does that mean? If I'm going to walk wisely, it 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 demands number one that we know. We know if I, I we can't walk wisely if we don't know how we ought to walk, and then it involves love, because you know without love we can have all of the knowledge in the world. And knowledge without love, you know, puffeth up, the Bible says. And so it takes more than knowledge. It takes love. 
the knowledge to do what's right and the love to do it. And it requires that we follow the Lord because he's our, our only security. You know, we can't keep ourselves safe. Charles Bridges, who, as you've heard me say over and over and over again, my favorite writer when it comes to Proverbs, and I jotted down a statement that he made regarding this very matter. And he says, Blessed be our God, our standing is not on the uncertainty of man's best purpose, but upon the faithful promise, the unchangeable will, the free grace and almighty power of God, not therefore on ourselves, but on the rock on which the church is immovably built. Oh boy, I, that's what we've been talking about. Uh, we, you know, we can't build our lives on the uncertainty of our own abilities and so on and so forth. We can't depend upon our reasoning. We can't get by just based on our human affection and emotion and what have you. It takes more than that. We've got to walk wisely, and the only way to do that is to walk as the Lord directs. Now, verse 27. Verse 27. He that giveth unto the poor shall not lack, but he that hideth his eyes shall have many a curse. Now, this is another of many different scriptures that, you know, that assures us that God will reward us if we give liberally. Jesus taught that blessed, you know, is he, you know, he that gives. And over and over and over again in the New Testament and the Old Testament, we find that very thing. And according to Jesus, you'll remember that he reminds us that we can always find an opportunity to give because he said, for ye have the poor with you always, and whensoever ye will, ye may do them good. So we can always find someone in need. You know, we look back and think about the days of Christ and think about all of the efforts of man. We've implemented various programs to, you know, to educate people and to help people and what have you. You would think by now that you know, if the human mind could devise a way to eliminate poverty, it would have done so by now. How many more thousand years do we need? But we haven't done it, have we? I was, I was so shocked here a while back whenever, I'm trying to think it was, I believe it was San Francisco, it might have been L.A., one of the, one of the cities there in California, and I had no I had no idea. Is a, a video clip, several minutes long. Uh, this this fellow that was taking a little tour, I believe, if I remember right, he was on a bicycle. I'm sure he was, and he was riding through this tent city. Anybody else see that? And it went on and on and on. And I mean, you would have thought you was in some in Haiti, some third world country or something. I, I mean, it was unbelievable, and that's right here in America. So, you know, our our human ability hasn't been able to solve that problem. But the point is, Jesus said, you have the poor with you always. So he said, whenever you will, you can do them good. And uh, so we have an open door. Well, why do we find so many in poverty? 
Well, there could be a lot of different reasons, but one reason for it, according, according to this verse of Scripture, if we take it as it is, one reason is because of the fact that there are so few that give liberally and lovingly. There have been many a poor person that has brought a curse upon himself, you know, the poverty upon himself, simply because he was unwilling to give when he had it to give. Somewhere or another, we got this in our mind that, you, you know, that in order to give, you've got to have large sums of money. And that's just not true. A poor person can give. In fact, a lot of times, percentage-wise, poor people give a lot more than rich people do. Uh, think about Paul, you know, and whenever he was writing to a certain group of churches and what have you, and it tells us, that they it was in their deep poverty they gave. And he uses this phrase. He says they gave beyond above and beyond their ability. Out of their poverty they gave. And God had prospered them. In other words, they gave more than they had. How do you give more than you have? You give what you've got. And then God gives you more, and you're able to give more than you had, you see. And so God has promised a blessing upon those that give and a curse upon those that that refuse. And, you know, naturally the primary reason why people don't give is because of lack of love. You know, if you, if you don't have a loving concern, for whatever the cause is, whoever the people are, if, if you don't have love, chances are you're not going to give. Now, there's some, you know, of course, in positions they give uh, for financial reasons because it pays for them to give, whether it's a tax break or whatever it is. There's a lot of entertainers, professional athletes. You know, they make charitable donations to different causes and whatever. We look at that and we think, oh, wow, they gave a million dollars, yeah, but they probably saved too. You know, I'm, I'm not rich enough to know how all of that, that stuff works, but, but I'm smart enough to know that it does and there's a reason for what they do. But generally speaking, generally speaking, we give because we love and we fail to give because... Because love is lacking. But it's also a matter of faith. A lot of people fail to give because they're lacking in faith. You know, let's face it, whenever you give, we, the first thing we do is think to ourselves, okay, if I give this, how much have I got left? And so if I give so much, then that means I've got to deprive myself of X amount of dollars or whatever the, you know, the gift might be. And so we start worrying about well, what's going to happen whenever it's gone. And uh, that's where faith comes in. Faith causes us to believe that if this is what God requires and we do it, that God will meet our need. But those that, that you know, they're determined to keep what they have, whether it's a lack of love, lack of faith, doesn't make difference, whatever the case is. Notice he says, they shall have many a curse. Many a curse, uh, you know, not just a, uh, it's not just kind of like a slap on the wrist, but many a curse. 
And and they the thing of it is they pull that curse down upon their own head. It's not something thrust upon them. It's something they does that they do to themselves as a result of not obeying the word of God. Now, there's really an interesting phrase here, and I, I want you to make note of it. I've underlined it. Uh, notice he doesn't he doesn't just say that he refuses to give, but notice the wording. He hideth his eyes. He hideth his eyes. Well, you know, there's one of two things. Either he does that intentionally, you know, he just intentionally hides I, I don't want to see it. I, you know, if I take a good, long, hard look at them, you know, I'll see that they're in need. I, I just don't want to see it. Don't tell me about it. So they just intentionally hide their eyes from the plight of the poor, the needs of others. But then it might be that they just pretend not to notice them. You know, they haven't closed their eyes to it. They just they just pretend, you know, that, well, I, I didn't notice that. I, I'm so sorry. If I'd have known about that, I'd have been there, Johnny, on the spot to help you. I'm so sorry. I, 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 I didn't know it used in such a bad, bad way. So they just pretend that they don't know. But whatever the case is, the result's the same. They bring a curse upon themselves. Isaiah one fifteen says, because this is this is talking this is talking about people like that. By the way, it says, "And when ye spread forth your hands, I will hide mine eyes from you. I'll hide mine eyes from you." You get the connection. It's as though the Lord is saying, "When you fail." When you fail to look upon those that are in need, you hide your eyes from them. I'm going to hide my eyes from you. You don't look upon them. I'm not going to look upon you in your time of need. Now, that's a scary thought to me. To think that me or my family or my friends and so forth to think about that here we are in dire need of something and uh, God says, well, I'm, I close my eyes to it. You're going to have to get your help somewhere else. That's a scary thought. So it's, I think, a whole lot better to do it God's way and go back to, as he said, giving to the poor. Now, verse 28 And I don't think that I'm going to try to get into verse or chapter 29. I, we, we'll see how our time goes, but we might look at just the first verse. Verse 28, When the wicked rise, men hide themselves. But when they perish, the righteous increase. That's another way of saying that evil and good cannot coexist in peace. Basically, this is the same proverb, says the same thing as, as what we saw back in verse number 12, and we talked about it then, and the idea is that when wicked men rise to prominence, when they get in positions of power, you know, as a result of that, they're going being wicked men, they're going to mistreat people, there's going to be persecution, there's going to be oppression, 
and it says when that happens, when those kind of people are running the show, it, it says people hide themselves. Now, you know, I don't think that necessarily means that they literally go into hiding, although in some instances, historically, it can mean that because of persecution from the government, they literally had to flee to the mountains and the caves and go into hiding. Uh, but there's another sense in which, in which this can be applied, and that is whenever the wicked are in authority, whenever they're dictating everything, the righteous people hide themselves in the sense that they withdraw themselves. In other words, they're not at liberty to openly express themselves. And especially that can happen when it comes to the matter of worship. We Here in America, we just take it for granted that everybody, you know, is free to worship God however they please and so forth. But let me tell you, there are certain countries, a lot of countries where you're not at all free to worship as you please. And whenever we even think about the history of our nation, we ought to go back sometime and read, read how it was here in the beginning up in New England and a lot of the laws imposed regarding religion. I'm talking about state religions and taxing on religions and things of that nature like that. And it's only by the grace of God we've got beyond that here in America. But when, whenever, whenever people lose their freedom to express their views, maybe on moral issues... And, and I'm telling you, we're nudging the border of that right here in America today, uh, being able to express our views. And I could really go off on a tangent here, and you know where I would go, and I'll try to avoid that. But, but whenever we think about preaching the Bible and denouncing sin like we're required to do, all of a sudden, we're hit in, in the face with this idea that we've got to make sure that we are politically correct because we just might offend somebody, you know. And as a result of that, we could open ourselves up to a lawsuit. We could even be incarcerated or whatever. So we, li we live today in this, it's been called the age of the new tolerance in fact, there's a, a book, Josh McDowell and a fellow by the name of, I believe it was Bob Hostetler, uh, I believe was the other author, they combined to write a book that was called The New Tolerance. And it's based on this unscriptural belief that truth is relative to the community in which a person participates. And since, you know, the, you know, there's a lot of different human communities and what have you, there's necessarily many different different truths. And, and that's, that's a quote, unquote. That's what they believe. There are many different truths. The proponents of that philosophy tell us that all beliefs are equally true. Think about that. All beliefs are equally true in the sense that everything is relative. They tell us that there's no such thing as absolute truth. No such thing as that. You, you've got your truth, I've got my truth, he's got his truth. That's the way these people believe. And we've got legislators that believe that. We, 
you know, people trying to impose those kind of regulations upon us and what have you. And uh, here's, here's the thing about it. And, and, and don't ever forget this. It's not just about this matter of not offending others. It's about uh, the matter of them gaining control over the people. Wicked people trying to gain control over others. That's why they leave the impression some have come out and said it in so many words that we, the elite, are the only ones that are qualified to lead because the rest of you is not smart enough to know how our nation ought to operate. And so you need us to, to guide you. Well, I, anyway, now here's, the, here's one of the major problems with this. And that is that they are not just seeking for you to tolerate their views. They're insisting that you approve of it, endorse it, and support it, you see. It starts out just, you know, it starts out by saying, look, I know, I know that you, the rest of you people, you don't approve of the way we live and the things that we do and what we believe. You don't approve of All we're asking is for you to be tolerant of our beliefs. You know, just let us live over here in our little corner of the community and do our own thing and just, you know, don't, don't bother us. Don't enact any laws that would restrict us and so forth. And, uh, and so we do. We accommodate them. All right. We'll, we'll, we'll change the laws of the land and, We'll even change the laws regarding marriage or whatever, you know. We'll, we'll do all of that. And as soon as they get that, they push for more than that. They want you to endorse it. They want you to, to support it. And, and here's the thing. They, um, they tell us that we ought to tolerate everything except intolerance. Tolerate everything except intolerance. Now think about that a little while. Where does that put us as Christians I'm talking about? Because what they're saying in essence, we'll tolerate anything but you Christians who don't agree with us. And you see, that, that, that puts us at odds with the world. I'm talking, when I say the world, I'm talking about the worldly system now. Because we believe that there is such a thing as absolute truth. And there can be no peaceful coexistence in that sense. So there's always going to be, there's always going to be this, this tension between them and us. Now here's the good news. And I'm glad we can end tonight on a word of good news because some of this pretty morbid stuff when you try to think it through. But here's the good news. Notice the second half of this proverb. But when they perish, now we're talking about those wicked, wicked people that you know that cause people to hide the righteous. When they perish, mark it down, and they will, and they will eventually. Notice what happens. The righteous increase. You know, we can just look at history and see many examples of this. We, we think back, for example, back in the, in the book of Esther, and I happen to be reading a little bit in the book of Esther today, and, and, and when, when you think about what was going on in the hatred toward the Jews and, and the plot 
to destroy the Jews. But when all was said and done, and, and when wicked Haman was hanged on the gallows that he prepared for Mordecai, when that happened, they got rid of him. All of a sudden, in, in chapter 8 and verse 17, it tells us many of the people of the land became Jews. I mean, things turned upside down, you see. He got rid of that that wicked person that was trying to destroy them. And, and the result of that, the righteous increased. Now there are more Jews than there were before because we you have these people converting to Judaism as a result of that. And then we go over to the book of Acts to get an example out of the New Testament. And and uh, after the death of Herod, the, the Bible says in Acts chapter 12, and the word of God grew and multiplied. It grew and multiplied. Now, here's the thing about it. In addition to all of these historical examples that we could draw from, the main thing is, folks, we have the assurance of biblical prophecy that the wicked will perish and the righteous will flourish. That's going to happen. And that's why I keep saying every chance I get, for the Christian, the best is always yet to come. Because there's coming a day whenever God's going to judge this world and the wicked shall perish, they'll be purged out, and in that day the righteous shall flourish. How do I know? Because we are joint heirs with the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, you talk about a party. I, we're going to have a hallelujah hold down and a, and a glorious time in heaven thinking about the fact that we're joint heirs with Jesus Christ. And... Uh, what a day that's going to be when, when we, we get our inheritance. Wow. Well, I hope that will encourage you whenever you're going through some tough time this week. And just, you know, just remember things are going to get better. It's just a matter of time until it happens. Just a matter of time. It's going to get better because uh, the best is yet to come. Well, Lord willing, next week we'll start out in chapter number 29. And this is a, this is a great chapter. I tell you, I... Of course, I'm excited about Proverbs every week, but uh, I'm really excited about chapter 29. There's some verses here that that I think will prove very helpful and and uh, things that we will profit from studying. So I hope you'll stay with us. And I hope. Let me throw 